Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're somewhere in London. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Shortage. Shortage, yeah. Shortage. Progressive Networks uh, Skills Matter, mm-hmm. their conference here. And uh, we're, we're talking. We just got off stage. We did a little talk. That developer platform talk, which yeah. as opposed to calling it, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is just sort of a summary of what we've done in shows. Yeah. We, we updated it again today and realized, like, this is not important anymore. This but we keep finding little things about... The, uh, about the f- the past and the current, present and the future that we that we didn't understand before. Yeah, you know, they all sort of tie together. So I'm very pleased with our update today. Yeah, it was we, a good update. We did a good version of it. Uh, John Skeet is here. We'll be talking to him momentarily. But first, we have this little business called Better Know a Framework. Awesome. Dude, what do you got? And John, you're here. You're Google. You mm-hmm. can chime in on this. Uh, Google. Material design. <laughs> oh, I know nothing. No, no, but <laughs> I'm not a front end developer. But that I'd... comes from your people. It does. It does. Yes. Yeah, all you Google people are connected together, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we all know each other, That's really. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Better Know a Framework is not about material design, but it's about material design XAML toolkit for WPF. Wow. Yeah. So uh, just to back up a little bit, material design is a whole a design system that Google came up with, um, primarily for web stuff, of course, because Google is web. Right. And it's all about, you know, icons and buttons and list boxes and all the different UI things that you see in a browser. But these are all just uh, really nice looking and nice working and well-designed things that all work together in a system. And there's now, uh, at on GitHub, Butcher's Boy has come out with Material Design in XAML Toolkit. Or you can just go to materialdesigninxaml.net, and it's Google's Material Design in XAML and WPF for C Sharp and VBNet. That is very cool. cool. And it's got a very nice aesthetic, very clean. One thing that's very cool, and this is the first thing I did, I downloaded uh, a, just a binary sample app mm-hmm. in WPF, so you can walk all the way through all of the different UI elements and really get a, a sense for what's in the box. Nice. Not only that, but there's a whole icon library, which hmm. is great because right. that's always the last thing you do. Yep. Right. You know, Oh my God, I need an icon. Now I need an icon. And the last thing you want to do is come up with your own. That won't be quite the same as everybody else's. Yeah. There used to be a whole thing back in the sort of nineties. Uh, I remember working with a CRM system 
And one of their advertising points was that they had their own unique UI. It's like, mm. that's the last thing it's you want. You just thing. want to be a consistent UI with everything else. Yeah, so, yeah, you exactly. want icons that everyone will recognize. Yes. Cool. So, there you go. It's uh, quite a cool material design and XAML toolkit. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1407, which we did with Mr. Skeet back in January <laughs> of 2017, talking about Node Time, Google Cloud, and many other subjects. I think we got, uh, we went the gambit that yeah, day. We did. As, <laughs> yeah, we As we are prone to doing. And as usual, generates a ton of comments. Um, one of them is from Tom Brown. It says, hi, John. So addressing you directly there, John. I really like the advice on preparing your questions for Stack Overflow and the use of a console app. Mm. I first started on with online questions using Steve Jones's SQL Server Central and soon got told by the site's guru how to format questions concisely to make it easier for others to reproduce my problem. I have found that making simplified tables, depersonalized data, refactoring queues to isolate the precise issue makes me think more about it. And often I work up my own solution before I've even posed the question. Oh, this is music to my ears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is something that I think we'll probably talk about more in detail. It's a real passion of mine is the skills that we either have lost or haven't passed on properly in terms of diagnosing problems. And yeah. part of diagnosing a problem well is uh, isolating it down, distilling it. Yes, to the minimum. Uh, to the minimum. And at that point, you're more likely to be able to solve it yourself and even if you can't, you're in a much, much better position to pass it on to someone else. Right. And Carl and I are, are talking about something for my work in terms of, well, this doesn't quite work properly. Okay, let's see if we can reproduce it in an absolutely minimal way. We don't need to be doing anything useful. We just need to reproduce the problem. Get it down right. as narrow as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great to hear that, that the advice, uh, well, it sounds like he was already taking the advice before I gave it. Right. Uh, but, and, but that it resonates. And it, it yeah. then realized the power of doing that sometimes knocks the problem out entirely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's almost a shame when that happens if you then lose lose the useful information for other people. Right, the distillation. Yeah. Uh, so I've actually started blogging um, a few times now. If I've got a problem, and I thought, well, how am I going to diagnose what's going on here? So I had this a long time ago, uh, as in a year, year or so ago, where I had some NUnit tests that were running slowly on .NET Core mm. on Linux, but fast on .NET Core on Windows. Mm. And it ended up being a difference in the speed of string dot starts with on uh, .NET Core on Windows. This only showed when you were using English UK or ENGB wow. mm -hmm. um, because it's optimized on Windows but not on Linux. And it was a massive, massive performance difference. Wow. But it went through, well, is it something in no time? Dum, dum, dum. No, get that out of the picture. Is it something in NUnit itself? Mm -hmm. I had to dive deeply into what every single th this happened on every single assert.equals wow wow um, so Dude. right what's going on there and eventually get down to a tiny application that proves it has a has an issue um that doesn't use any node of time doesn't use any end unit hmm. but it's really interesting following the procedure of how i got there right um and i'm hoping that if i'm doing this more regularly now I've got, ironically, another one to do on NUnit. Uh, they now have a .NET test runner, and it's not behaving quite the way I expect. And I haven't mm. done any real diagnostic work 
yet. But when I filter by category, it seems to still take just as long as when I don't. So it's as if it's running all the tests and then only reporting the filtered in ones. <laughs> what do um, you bet it is? So yeah. who knows what the problem's going to be, but I will write it up literally as I'm going, mm. um, including all the wrong turns and things. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and it's a good, it's a good encouragement be... to Tom. It's like, just because you've answered your question by doing good diagnostics doesn't mm. mean you shouldn't write it up somewhere so that somebody else mm. can, can save time on it. Yeah. And, yeah. Tom, and Tom went on to say, the work I put into preparing good questions has surely expanded my knowledge. Yeah. Right. Oh, it absolutely does. And it's also, it's not just for problems you face um, where you've got a bug. It's if you're reporting an issue to someone else, this is how you reproduce it. Right. And if if you can give them the absolute minimum repro, that's just ideal. Um, and also when you're answering a bug, if you say, well, I can't reproduce it um, with what you've given me, here's something that I tried to use to reproduce it and it didn't, right. or, or maybe even... Uh, yes, I've now managed to reproduce it. Here's a shorter version that reproduces it. Right. Mm. Uh, it's they're, just... They're, they're refinements of the problem. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Makes a lot of sense. So, Tom, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. So we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We try our best to repro them. All right, well, let's formally introduce John. John Skeet is a software engineer for Google in London who plays with C-Sharp somewhat obsessively in his free time. He loves writing and talking about C-Sharp, and the third edition of C-Sharp in Depth was published in September 2013. Writing less formally, John spends a lot of time on Stack Overflow, where a lot is an understatement. <laughs> Give him a puzzle about how C-Sharp behaves, which gets him reaching for the language spec, and John is a happy bunny. John lives in Reading with his wife and three children. Welcome back to the show, John. Lovely to be here. Uh, I, I want to start with the little interaction that you and I had by email mm -hmm. the other day, which fits right into our topic. I um, have been doing an application that uses a Google Cloud service. Yep. And um, the authentication and authorization stuff is kind of tricky um, for a guy like me who's used to really explicit examples from Microsoft and whatever. And, you know, just looking at a REST specification, um, just like I wasn't getting it. And basically, I, I, it turned out that there was, uh, I was having a problem with one of my NuGet packages. There was a an error that I got. Uh, that had something to do with a file. I think it was a assembly not found, right? It was a basically a native assembly that was part of a NuGet package that it didn't have installed and um, wasn't sure quite why that happened. And the workaround was that I had to find it on my computer, copy it into the project, and then, you know, in my load statements, uh, copy that uh, into the in directory. Which and is to be a, clear, we are going to resolve that. As soon well, as I can get it done, we're going to sort that. Yeah, as it turns <laughs> out, it's, it's, um, so nobody else is having the problem. Like, I mean, it, some people had it in the past, but it was fixed. Like, it, this right. is, this may be a problem with versioning on my part. It's clearly something that I was struggling with. It's a difficulty because relatively few NuGet packages have native code in. Right. Yeah. And particularly, it used to be relatively easy. If you yeah. were targeting .NET, you were targeting .NET. Now there's targeting .NET Core versus desktop.NET and how are you publishing this application yeah. and there's all kinds of things. So you're using web forms. Yeah. Um, that's not something I have tested on. I 
use ASP.NET Core yep. a fair amount, and yeah. it's all fine there. Well, you know, I, I like I knows? say, I don't want to make this a th- about Google and errors and bugs and stuff. It, it was clearly a problem that I was just having, you know, something something that I didn't do right. Maybe I had the wrong NuGet package installed. That's probably what it was when it comes down to it. But anyway, we, uh, I, I was having this conversation, and uh, and I got an email from John. Hey, I would like to see a repro of this. Uh, you know, I'm trying to because uh, I had sent repro instructions to Chris Sells, uh, and he sent it on to you. So I just thought that was it, it's just really cool how the um, you know how responsive you guys are to, uh, to to figuring out these problems and how how difficult sometimes it is even when there is adequate documentation to figure stuff out yeah and to be clear you you gave a repro that clearly repros for you and doesn't for me so yeah. i tried the steps that you did and i tried right well why don't i try with brand new web forms and add the nougat package and that worked for me so one of the things we're going to look at later is what is the difference in our environment yes. i don't think it was a nougat package version number issue yeah, I, I don't know who knows what it is yet we don't um, know but we'll figure it out but yeah and you know i think maybe if i could just surmise a, a solution i think my uh laptop is uh possessed by satan <laughs> okay that's so, certainly can i close that as the, as yeah, the I think issue we'll close it right yeah. now yeah um, close solution yeah. exorcism <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 what is reformatting the operating system but an exorcism, really? You know, when you get right down to it. But your your point about you know, oh, this is something that only I'm running against. Well, maybe not. It's just maybe other people don't feel comfortable reporting the issue. Maybe. Um, and I'm I'm Mr. Corner Case. So the number yeah. of times that I run across problems that. I would have thought would affect other people, but apparently don't. So, yeah, right. so yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you I, on this. I, I want you to know, John, for the rest of us, the fact that you find corner cases is not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> We're all pretty comfortable with the fact that you're out there compared to what a lot but of the rest of us are doing. But I don't look for them. I, I mean, no. if, I'm, if I'm looking, if I'm reviewing the language specification or something, I'll think, oh, right. yeah, well, what if it's a non-nullable struct or whatever? But for most cases... I just seem to run into them well, all over It's the place. like you're the guy who happily skips along the edge of the cliff and call, <laughs> it, and call it a Wednesday, right? Like, it's just a normal thing for you. It's like, oh, there's stuff on the edge of the cliff. No kidding. That's why we don't go over there. Why are you there? But, but it never feels it, – it just feels like the normal path to yeah, me. I, yeah. get, I get yeah. that. That's you're, awesome. You're yeah. very happy there. I, I suspect, actually, that there are a bunch of – there are probably a bunch of time zone – things that I haven't found by living in London mm. because I would only see them for half of the year. Right. If, if you've got things which will only show up when you're not in UTC, that right. cuts me out for half the time. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure there are a lot of internationalization things that ENUS folks don't see that yeah. the rest of us Honey, do. Honey, we're moving to Utah. <laughs> I'm thinking Nepal. You need to be on one of those 45 time zones. Well, yeah, I've, I've thought it would be quite good if you're ever – wanting to make sure that your system really doesn't rely on the system time zone. Just set it to something that's not even 45, but, you know, 23 minutes and five seconds off. Or yeah, right. like, you'll sure. notice that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I still tell no-to-time stories every so often. Good, just, please but do. Just that Spread idea the word. That, but just the concept that time zones are politics. They are not science. Right. right. And, and uh, they're certainly almost not- hearsay. Yeah. In some cases, you know, the, the fact that the the time zone database that most of the world uses, so everything outside Windows, and hopefully Windows is gradually moving in that direction, mm-hmm. that's hosted by IANA, it's all run by volunteers. And so, 
yeah, apologies, I may have told this story on previous episodes. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, listeners. Uh, but things like we're trying to find out when Egypt's going to switch into DST, and so far we the the rules for the IANA contribution list say you know, there has to be something official and in English so that we don't get things lost in translation. Because how easy would it be to right. lose something in translation about whether it's you know one o'clock wall time or one o'clock standard time or one o'clock UTC or whatever? Right. Yes. Um, and. Yeah, the closest we could find was something on the Egyptian government's Facebook page or something like that. It's like, <laughs> oh, man. Why is the world run like this? Surely we can do something better than this. It's all the people in it, darn yeah, it. I, I find it astonishing, actually, um, astonishingly good that this year we're in 2017. It's now September, and we're only on 2017B edition of time zone data wow. so there have only been two sets of changes published i think we're aware of some more that need to be oh, published soon, okay but. now what <laughs> public changes what this really happens <laughs> Don't talk. oh so i think last year we got up to j or something what? so th this isn't this isn't saying we're now changing into dst this is the rules for right. when it changes That's what so, i'm saying like the u.s changed was it 2005 yes changed so that it was they uh, moved it like another when, month two 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 weeks yeah. either end one way or the other yeah. i can't remember canada followed um, along Right, because otherwise you just miss a lot of meetings. Well, we have we have an <laughs> interesting time where you know, instead of being eight hours different, I'm seven hours different, right? And then later on, nine hours different. Yes. Um, so how does Windows deal with this? Right. So how Windows pushes systems? stuff out by Windows Update, and I think it used to be at least only once every six months. Hmm. So things could be out for a very long time, um, but. Different operating systems will push it in different ways. Uh, I, a friend of mine works on Android, and one of the areas that he works on is how Android handles time zone updates, Oh, hmm. um, which you can imagine is really interesting because there's native code there, there's Java code. You would kind of like them to have the same data. You'd think, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but, and I thought they all just relied on IANA. I thought, I thought that Microsoft was the goof here. Uh, yes, but there can be different copies of IANA data. So oh, no. if you're running a Java app, so let's leave Android out of it. Let's just talk, you're running a Java application on your desktop. Mm. Well, that's going to use the version of the time zone data that's part of Java. It's built into rt.jar mm. um, or, or something like that. And there used to be a time zone update tool. Right. Um, I'm not sure whether the tool still exists or whether they just do it via other updates. But yes, you could even have two different Java applications that each come bundled with their own um, JRE, as oh. sometimes happens, particularly for sort of Git clients and things. They often come bundled with a JRE, and they can think that the time's different. Yay! Nope. <laughs> what about Chrome? How does Chrome deal with you know JavaScript, essentially? Uh, I believe JavaScript tends to use IANA time zones. I don't know how Chrome gets updated information, whether it relies on the operating system or whether yeah. it has its own built-in versions. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff strange. to think about. Yeah, and imagine how difficult it is when governments sometimes only say that this is happening like two days in advance or, right. or less. They've previously had decrees saying, by the way, we went into daylight saving time this morning. Yeah. Right. You, warning, you did what? Please? <laughs> and so, how do you, getting back to diagnostics and debugging, somebody comes to you with a bug in no time, 
you have to now reproduce that bug. Right. So the first thing, I, it's great because <laughs> you may the first have thing I can servers. do. You may have two things, right? A client and a server that are both right. in different time zones. Yep. And if they're both using notice time, I can say, okay, report date time zone providers.tcdb, another name for the IANA ones, dot version ID. And it will tell me which version of the data it is. And then you can load up whatever version you want fairly easily. Um, so there's there's the built-in version, but we've made it deliberately pluggable so that you can just say, hey, I wish to load a time zone provider from this data source. Right. Um, and when there's a new version, we come up with a new file on the website. Wow. And uh, hold that thought just for a moment while we take a minute to hear a word from our sponsors. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud platform. What? Isn't this a .NET show? Yeah. .NET runs on the Google Cloud platform, man. Everything in .NET? You bet. All the .NET core libraries and more, including 200-plus Google.com and cloud services. Hey, John Skeet's behind it. He's a genius. The John Skeet? The Rescue the Princess John Skeet from Stack Overflow? <laughs> yeah, the one and only. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine, which is Google's hosted Kubernetes environment, and it runs like, well, Google. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. I'm reading it now. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. Yep. You can get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. Also, there are PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And if you need help, there are a great set of partners to get workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. .NET on Google. Who knew? And you're listening to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard here in London at the ProgNet conference talking to John Skeet. And I just can't seem to get away from time zones because they're just so awesome. <laughs> but there is this larger story about just trying to diagnose these kinds of problems well. Mm -hmm. you, do you see it as a lost art? I mean, I think we all do it. Just You've been developers long enough with poor enough tools that you figure out a way. Well, the three of us may all do it. Because we're all old. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really think that that is something to do with it, or at least it's when you started doing things. Right, right. So we're probably all used to writing console apps because time was, that was all there was. Right, and yeah, if you yeah. wanted to write a GUI, well, you'd have to break into Win32 and it was horrible or you know, pre predecessors to, to Win32. Right. And it was really painful. Um, whereas quite often I see people say, I want to reproduce a problem. I will create a WinForms app and a button, and when you click the button, I'll run the code that I want to run that's actually got the problem. That's got nothing to do with a GUI. It's like, right. you've got three lines of useful code yeah. right. and a thousand lines of GUI builder code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put it in a console app. Right. Yeah. And this is, so for a while, my um, my passion has been, let's get date and time working for .NET properly. And I feel, I'm not going to say it's solved, but Node Time is in a position where I'm comfortable. I'm mm -hmm. making yeah. tweaks now, but it's really only tweaks. Um, so I'm going to be putting a lot of effort into blogs and podcasts and screencasts and talks hmm. and all kinds of things saying we need to get better at diagnostics as a community because it's a community thing that we can pass on knowledge and some of the difficulty of that is not sounding condescending while we do so yeah right but you know, when you see stack overflow questions which are here are 300 lines of code and i don't know where the problem is and i haven't worked it out and 
I used to think this was just laziness. And right. I think it's so pervasive now. This isn't just laziness. Some people maybe know how to do it and can't be bothered and want other people to do the work for them. Right. Other people just aren't being taught. And this is one of the problems of computer science versus software engineering mm -hmm. in university. And I don't know whether it pervades school systems. You know, I've got three boys in school. Um, so I'm sure I will be interacting with their computing teachers and saying, yeah. like, well, so what do you do in terms of teaching diagnostics? What to do when it goes wrong? It feels to me like the most fundamental thing. Why are we trying to teach people how to write 12 factor apps and do all right. kinds of really deep, difficult stuff without the basic building blocks of what do I do when it goes wrong? It also, it really, really starts with critical thinking skills, doesn't it? And mm. th that's something that they don't teach in schools in the United States, really. I mean, mm. I've never seen a class in critical thinking, you know. And it, it sort of doesn't need to be a specific class so much as the source material is everywhere. Because sure. when you're learning to code, things go wrong. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, maybe every program you've ever written just works but it <laughs> certainly doesn't for me so it, it shouldn't be difficult to find examples if the teacher said right when something goes wrong maybe stop the whole class everyone else stop what you're doing right let's yeah. work out where things are wrong right and from that you could potentially get um code sharing and collaboration and the idea of you can take pride in your code without feeling you're the only one who can touch it sure mm -hmm. yeah which is very um, powerful very powerful and that comes along with humility um of this is my code i know it's broken i right. know it's not the best code in the world yeah which that's part of the the fear of going open source is then they'd be able to see my code then they'd be able they to see how, how awful ugly my is. baby really yeah. is <laughs> um and i think largely if you know that it's going to be public you do put a bit more effort into it mm -hmm. the node time mm -hmm. code base is the code base i am most proud of that i have ever written in terms of i think it's pretty nice pretty orderly um mm. and that's partly because i knew from the start that it would be public and also you know i have my own time scale for it you know, it could take a while i wasn't up against deadlines anyway back to this classroom so you know you stop the class you say right put the code up on the screen right uh let's think have we got a unit test for this mm -hmm. so teaching unit testing i went to a university to give a talk to a computer science um, class saying here are the things you need to know about software engineering that I bet you're not being taught right and it was things like uh, how does you the, should use version control how does the prof react to that oh, they, the, the prof invited me to, <laughs> to, oh, <wait>. to <laughs> give this after I gave a, a previous talk on career progress which right. I'm I'm the worst person to talk to about career <laughs> progress because I just sort of seem to fall into the nice things um, <laughs> just be awesome but, but that's <laughs> what i tell people version control not to derail yeah, you Sean. version control so you know, hands up how many people are using version control everyone can do it on github yeah about free. three out of 40 people yeah. right how many of you are writing unit tests one yeah um yeah and bigger things around uh do you know how to talk to people how to write emails that are not microaggressive that get yeah. to the point quickly without being too brusque that it, do you know how to work with people because that's far far more important than how about just how to respond to email like right. that you have to respond to email is just something yeah, that that's something especially yeah. younger people need to understand because email is not in their wheelhouse really i mean you right, I, right I, out of I don't understand the whole i'll i'll organize something on facebook messenger and i'm aware that's where some people live and it's yeah. just somewhere i don't go and you right. know, i know when i need to go there for whatever reason but mm. um yeah email just is 
my default thing. And likewise, people say, oh, we'll set up a Slack channel. It's like, oh, please don't. Yeah. I would like to, well, I will respond. Things. It's good for some things, yeah. but, but it puts this constant pressure on. Right. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's fine if you have effectively a chat environment. Um, but the idea of using it as a support mechanism, um, that's well, constantly monitored or whatever. It's how I use Slack effectively is when AppVNext has a, a new project and a new customer, I'll connect the customer directly to the developers or the developer or developers doing the work. And everything is discussed in that Slack channel, you know, between them. So there's no emails that I can't see. And, you know, right. then we have a history of the communication of how this app was built. Yeah. Right. So it's effectively meetings by text, yeah, yeah, journaling. which yeah, and that journaling. makes per perfect yeah. sense. Um, but then presumably you've you said right turn up at this channel at a particular time yeah. and you know for the next 2 hours or whatever yeah yeah there um, isn't there there isn't chit chat right and yeah. it's it's the should you be constantly present right. and have to respond synchronously yeah. i i'm a big fan of asynchronous communication so yes. if i receive an email saying can you show up to somewhere i can wait until i'm at home check my calendar etc yeah. um and i don't have to feel i'm constantly right. on display right yeah mm -hmm. no, it's um, a, it, it is an interesting balancing act be, between your availability and your ability to to control interruptions right. to be productive yes yes and i would like to think i context switch i'm useless at multitasking mm -hmm. i'm good at context switching mm -hmm. so in my work with google cloud platform the the client libraries we're juggling many different libraries for you know Data store, storage, BigQuery, speech API, vision API, uh, natural languages, video intelligence, spanner. I, I could keep going. Mm -hmm. And each of them is at a different stage and has, you know, what's the next stage? And I've got to switch between them on a sort of hourly basis. Sure, but not on, um, a, on a minutely basis. Not on, not on a minutely basis. Can you imagine if I had a Slack channel open for each of those? Oh, yes. Geez, yeah. And people thought they'd just say, just come in and say hi. It's like, oh, right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we were talking about these uh, psychological things that people have to uh, come to grips with one of them is just um, uh, the fact that bugs happen the fact that errors happen you know it's it's our human nature to go ah oh, this doesn't work you know and just throw up your hands yep. and oh, you know now I'm a failure <laughs> and all these other crazy things and, and really you you know you what do you think about just the advice of lowering your expectations, right? But what is it, Richard? You say that you're a pessimist because you're never disappointed, <laughs> yeah. sometimes pleasantly yeah. surprised. I'm usually but, right and pleasantly, occasionally pleasantly surprised. But, you know, expect that you're going to have to take time to unpack some of these things that aren't just going to be as easy as right. you write a line of code and it works perfectly. I, I, yes. I like your statement earlier on about it's just the humility yeah. of it. So uh, I think humility, I'm an optimist. And I think that has positive effects as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I think it does need to come with humility. And I, I was thinking about this a while ago. Uh, I should look up the derivations. I assume that humility and humiliation have the same derivation. Right, sure. And wouldn't it be nice if they didn't have to? If, if <laughs> you could be humble. You. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that there must be a relation there. Yeah. Um, but I one of my... Best received tweets, um, which was which came after a Stack Overflow question where someone had said, "You, know, I know my code is right." Like, yeah. Okay, that's that's always a bad start. Right. Um, Works on my machine. Right. Yeah. So, uh, or in this case, I think it didn't even work on their machine, uh, but they assumed that it should. Right. Right. And <laughs> I think the attitude has to be, um, 
our world is so awesome, our world of software is so awesome that we can do amazing things. Right. But anything I write is probably going to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it, right. If I if I find a problem, it will probably be my fault rather than the compiler's fault. Right. And yeah. sometimes it will be. I'm you know, I've found enough compiler bugs to know that there are weird corner cases and library yeah, sure. cases and things. Um but that assumption of it's probably you is a really useful one to start. That's with. the humility angle, right? Humility is something you put on yourself. Mm. Right. As mm -hmm. opposed to humiliation, which is brought to you by others. Right. Uh, ultimately, it is you, though, that reacts to it. You yeah. Know? yeah. You, you, you feel you humiliated. Cho you choose to be humiliated, That's ultimately. right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to cancel my subscription to It Works on My Machine magazine. <laughs> pick up the latest issue of Let's Get Down in the Gubbins. <laughs> Gubbins. <laughs> Well, this is what happens when you spend a few days in the UK. <laughs> Words appear. John taught me that word. I was, I, I, we were, probably we were doing a DNR kind of thing TV. I would. Right. Yeah, we were doing a DNR TV, and you were unpacking async. Async. Away. I thought it might be on async. Yeah. And you said something <clears> like, <throat> "And just down, all that gubbins in there." And I said, "Wait, wait, 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 what's a gubbin?" <laughs> we're separated by a common language. There you go. It's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Dev Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with Dev Express UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React Grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free by getting it from GitHub. Now learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Dion Brown. Congratulations, Dion. Golf yeah. clap for you, sir. And Dion just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsor. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, John. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Oh, I should have I remembered that this would come up. Yep. Because my initial reaction is probably the same as I suspect it was on previous shows. Um, I really fancy HoloLens. Yeah. Yeah. I want to try that. I, I have tried it very briefly at Codemash mm -hmm. um, and didn't really get long enough to to get into it properly. Yeah. I, I need the instruction manual and make sure I've got everything right and, of course, build my own stuff. But, yeah, that still looks like a lot of fun. I don't know what at what point HoloLens is going to come into the mainstream and mm. be a fully released. I think we're, you know, we're overdue for new hardware. We definitely I, I suspect right. it's going to be early next year. I just, you know, there's, there's a bunch of third-party VR gear that's running holographic OS, the, the mm -hmm. Windows holographic. It's supposed to come out with the Christmas time frame. Ooh. 
So, and much less expensive, a few hundred dollars. Right, right. So, you know, I've had the sense that, that, ha- that Microsoft has backed off to give those guys some room right. while they've been busy tinkering away with some third generation thing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm, it's bound to be branded Surface by the time it. I wonder. I, it seems feels like it. Although, given that there's a, a lack of a Surface on it. Yes. How are they going to do that? You know, surfaceless. Surfaceless. <laughs> that's what it is. By the way, there was a rumor, and we talked about this on a previous show. There was a rumor that, you know, and it was just a rumor that, you know, Microsoft was killing off HoloLens because they announced there wasn't going to be a new version or the, somebody I, said that there wasn't going to be. I thought they were total... killing V2 to go straight to V3 right. or something. And that was this thing th- with the VR headset. I think that's ah, what right. it was. But we basically got the word right from Microsoft that no, if nothing's dying, nothing's going away. Right. We just don't have anything to announce right now, but you just. Just wait, it's going to be awesome. Well, and doing the math, there's been three iterations of Moore's Law since the current hardware, the stuff that's 3000 bucks, mm. came out. Yeah. And so and each one of those represents a doubling, either a halving in price or a halving in power consumption. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think with three, it's like cut the, <laughs> cut, the pri- cut the price, cut the weight and the heat, yep. and increase the compute so we've got full field of view and you know a little crisper, a little brighter. Yeah. You should be able to get all of those at once. Should be. I, th- I just want it to be amazing. That's yeah. all I'm looking for. Well, you know, and the HoloLens currently is amazing. Mm-hmm. It really is. So imagine, it could be even more. Imagine how much more amazing it would be. Anyway, I can't so argue yeah, with you, HoloLens, the, that's what, about $2,500 these days? Yeah, 3000 The other thing I would be interested to, to play with is a Surface Hub. Yeah. Those look fun. Uh, you could Where spend. is my digital whiteboard? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't even need one. The problem is that the, the Surface a, Hubs are huge. They make an 85 and they make a 42. Yeah. A 42 is still big it's for my shed. big. Yeah. Because I work in my shed at yeah. home mm. most of the time. And it's $8,000, I think. Right. Mm. So. And uh, that's too much for a shed. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm starting <laughs> to run out of wall space. I just bought a lovely Miro print and it's so I'm filling my shed with artwork instead of <laughs> All right. technology. Um, so, you know, can, can I take that money and buy more mirrors? I don't well, know. Uh, but especially <laughs> when we can get, get rid of a whiteboard, get rid of the projector, like all of that in one device. Yeah. And I think it's very compelling. And it feels to me like we have incredibly high DPI mm. touch screens these days. Sure. Yeah. And it wouldn't need to be incredibly high DPI. Right. So give me something that's sort of, uh, well, I would normally say A3 or maybe A2. Mm. I don't know what that corresponds to in US sizes. Right. But yeah. Um, a normal, small, personal whiteboard, that would be incredibly useful if that were a touchscreen and 1920 by 1080, so relatively low DPI, right. but still enough information there. And then I can draw and send it to someone else's whiteboard that I'm having a meeting with in real time and all kinds of things that my guess is that Surface Hub does a lot of that stuff and that's why I would like to play yes. with it. Although... Probably if you're the only person with a Surface Hub that you know, that may not be it's ideal. It's just like me the only person with a fax machine. Uh, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I, I recently got a uh, an Asus uh, AIO Pro Z2, Z240. You're just giving random numbers I and know, letters at this I point, I know, it's, it's basically a, it's an all-in-one computer from Asus, and it was about three grand. And it has screen. a 3840 by 2160 uh, screen, which is a 23-inch screen. Right, 4K screen, and it's touch, and uh, you know runs all the latest Windows 10 stuff and 185 PPI, and it's really amazing. So you know one of those could satisfy your Jones for a uh, exactly, for a except it's sort of five times the price it would need to be, and and five times as awesome. So I don't need that high resolution. I don't need the the massive amount of compute behind it because I want something that I can 
carry around if yeah, necessary. Right. Um, certainly carry into a meeting room and then carry out. If, it's if it's very tablet-y when you, yeah. what you're describing. So think of something that's bigger than a tablet. So it's more for collaboration because, yeah, you can get three people around a tablet. Kind but of. Kind of, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something in the 21, 23. Yeah. So it's still carryable. Exactly. You want a mount so that it hangs on the wall easily. Yep. And ideally can charge from there. and Yeah. And then yeah. you can also lay it on the table so three people can huddle around it and yep. manipulate it. And I haven't got a surface dial yet. I'm sort of tempted. But that kind of thing, uh, at least the kind of thinking that leads to the surface dial yes. is the kind of thinking that would lead to the device I want. This kind of collaborative um, But device. I'm not in UX research and things, so I'm not in the right place to yeah. make it happen. They, well. I, I, I agree with you, John. There's a notch there of just like, this is a fairly interesting the collaboration device. Yeah. And going back to earlier on when we were saying about things that software engineers need to learn, need to learn most of it, frankly, is about people rather sure. than about yeah. technology. No, well, I think that's been true for a while now. It's like, look, the tech can do it. The question is, why are we struggling to do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why, why are we struggling to express ourselves um, appropriately with our colleagues and express what we want clearly and, and things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the issues in the tech industry come down to that, whether they're issues in terms of we haven't invented the right things right. or we haven't got the right people in. So mm. while you were giving your talk, I was sorry to miss it, but I had to give a talk myself. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't know about your room, but mine was uh, almost entirely men. Mm. Yeah. And mm. you know, we've got to do better yeah. at making an inclusive environment. Right. And yeah. it's, it's our community to build, as it were. We, right. we can't just say, well, if women want to come along, they can. Mm. Um, if if we maintain this sort of often somewhat macho environment, um, then it will be seen as hostile to many. Yeah, and that's again just getting back to interacting with people and empathy. Yeah. Um, think about all the internationalization issues you've ever seen. Sure, right? a lot of it starts off with, Joe. You know I don't need to think about what someone else from another country will will see and yeah. want to see. I'm only going to worry about English. Yeah, um, and and even only one flavor of English at yep. that, just right. U.S. English. Yeah. And, and same it, for the input challenges, right? The yep. someone who's colorblind, right? Hearing impaired, visually impaired, like it's not that much harder. No, and it's it makes a better product. I think the we've had a couple of really good in, inclusiveness. Uh, diversity type shows recently mm-hmm. around the tech, just mm-hmm. going, hey, the process of thinking through this problem to help someone who's visually impaired be able to use it made it a better product for everybody. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think it's true in culture as well. Yeah. That the process of actually creating a diversively inclusive environment is simply a better environment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No Absolutely. It. And it doesn't need to be what people fear of everyone having to walk around on eggshells and never say anything challenging. A psychologically right. safe environment yeah. doesn't mean no one disagrees. It means you disagree respectfully, mm-hmm. yeah. and there can still be really vigorous disagreement that can lead to fantastic ideas. And chances are you're going to learn something exactly. every day. And if you're willing to listen to people, you're much, much more <laughs> likely to learn something than if you're just listening to an echo chamber. Because yeah. there is very much a trap of we all want, I want everyone to agree. And so you end up with sameness. Right. But that's the asset. But it's mm. like, hey, you know, steel is tempered with heat. Right. Like they, you need a certain amount of friction to actually make the best version of anything. Right. But whatever, it's got to be, it be of the right kind. Yeah. And everyone's got to buy into how how we can discuss things positively right well it's a, it's a, there's a, 
there's a conversation about how Socratic do we need to be? Mm-hmm. Like how deeply are we, are we going after each thing? How do we approach it? What are the tones around all that? And you, an assumption that, um, well, if I bring science to the, to the mix and if I say everything in an impersonal way, then no one will take it personally. Right. right. Like, no, yeah, that it just doesn't, really doesn't work. work. Yeah, no. exactly. Work um, and it, uh, unfortunately, it comes to much more than tech. So this is kind of going possibly off the topic of .NET Rocks a bit, but the whole tone of empathy and uh, theme of en- empathy and respect for um, everyone, however different, uh, I think could be so societally changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes to you know, three, four-year-olds it starts really, really early yeah, on. Yeah. And there's there's so much progress that can be made if we aren't dismissing half, it, it, two-thirds of the world. It's not just day. like a moral issue. It's it, it's good business. Absolutely. Yeah. I was at a, a school probably a year ago and um, laid out my diversity stance. You know, This is something I'm really passionate about. Yeah. And someone said, so are you in favor of getting more women in tech for moral reasons or for business reasons. And I had to say, yes, well, I would <laughs> in either way, but the great thing is they both work. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you if, don't have to pick. Exactly. If you were to say to recruiters, right. Um, in this company, I'm only going to allow people with a surname that begins with a to M. If they're N to Z, I'm just no. not working here. Uh, do you think the recruiter might say you you might miss out on some of the best candidates that uh, way? Yeah. So it's it's as simple as that. Yeah. Unless we are really saying that, and just just to pick men, women um, as the the initial borderline, yeah, and not assuming that everyone is binary man or woman either. Um, unless you assume that women can't just physically naturally can't be as good as men Mm. i'm rejecting that assumption explicitly let that one go right don't think so So (laughs) if we're rejecting that assumption then we should be really shocked at the numbers that we see right um we are acting as if we do accept that assumption yeah and a lot of that comes from before the tech industry gets involved, mm. but a lot happens after we get involved too. And yeah. and there's retention as well as hiring, all kinds of things. So yeah, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to really take, take a step back and think about it. If you're worried that some people, uh, I think, feel... Well, if we have twice as many people wanting to get into the tech industry, then I might not do as well. You know, I, yeah. I wouldn't be quite as high. And I would say that's not an argument. That, yeah, that may happen. And I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's encouragement to be better for starters. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're still if going, you're worried about your skills, then level up. Yeah, your uh, skills better. And there's so many jobs going unfilled. Right. You know, the joke over on the run ad space, whenever it's like cloud's going to take away our jobs, is like, how many of you have made it to the bottom of your to-do list? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Right. Right. And let's face it, putting uh, incentives in our laps to to be better at things makes us better at them. Yep. And and it's not a painful thing either. And it it will make the world better for us. So if we had better ideas, more diverse ideas coming through, then the laptops we use might be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Visual Studio might be better. Yes. Uh, What... Whatever it is that you look at, the more we get high quality ideas coming through, yep. the better things will be. Yep. So yeah, e- even if I had to take a bit of a pay cut, 
because I was on average you know, lower than I am now, mm. then I think it's still a net win for me. Right. Um, and I don't think that would actually be the case. I think it would, you know, a rising tide floats all boat. Yeah, one plus one equals three in most of these scenarios, right? I don't know how or diagnostically oriented that, that these aspects are, although definitely when it comes to figuring out a problem, a diversity of viewpoints helps. Oh, yes. Right. Absolutely. And even the awareness of diversity of situations. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a problem and say it's a string manipulation problem and you're coming to it from an English perspective and you have never thought about your non-English speaking users, mm. right. you will look at a reported bug and say, no, that can't be a problem. Yeah. Well, okay, it only comes when I'm writing in Japanese or something. Right. Yeah. Oh, now, okay, why uh, didn't I think that that might be the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Two bytes per character rather yeah. than one. Well, and just the formatting differences, right? It's very, spend a little time in Hebrew or Arabic yeah. right, working right to left. Yeah. It's all of a sudden so many built-in assumptions about yeah. UI right. design. That are all that are left to right bias. It seems insurmountable, though, to do that kind of. I mean, if you're talking about a Windows app, mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, we used to, at, where I got my start in this business at Crescent Software, we had tools that were for de Windows developers, right? But we had to outsource the translations to, right. one to one to German, one to Japanese. And they basically took our code and you know ported everything with the documentation and the code and and it was a big job. Yep. But you know on the web it's a little bit easier I think, isn't it? I know nothing about the right to left side of things and as I've probably said before I'm a I'm a libraries person. I don't right. do applications so I've managed to avoid a lot of that. But I do want to come back to what you were saying about the assumptions yes. yeah. because that's definitely relevant to diagnostics. Sure. In that half the effort of diagnostics is acknowledging your assumptions yeah. and then testing them. Yes. And if you're, you're not making. aware of your, your assumptions, then you can't possibly find the problem if you, if you are subconsciously assuming that it's not in one place, which is why the, the whole, I know that my code is right, yeah. but it doesn't work. Right. You gotta lose your ego to hey, have, right. uh, to be good at diagnostics. Well, it goes back to the, the problem you two are actually working on together right now, which yeah. I think you've also, you've, you've already acknowledged, okay, it's not where we were looking, there's a problem with our assumptions. Right. right. We need to now take a step back and say, what other factors are operating here? Because your yeah. recreation doesn't have the exactly. same Exactly. We've tried doing what what yeah. should be the same, yeah. should be in heavy air quotes, and it's not the, the same. same. So, so why isn't we go, why isn't it the same? It's that next that's, step. Right? Exactly. The next step is acknowledging, okay, there's assumptions here. Let us run down things we are not thinking of that could that affect that? Yeah, the first set. half of the show, I scheduled an exorcism for my computer. So <laughs> nice. We'll let you know if you actually go to the comments, the discuss comments uh, mm -hmm. on the website or on the mobile app. Uh, I will update uh, everybody on <laughs> the, what actually the happened. outcome of our debugging Debug session. De doing in your machine. Yeah, I love it. Yep. Well, uh, um, should we talk about tools? I mean, there are a lot of diagnostic tools. There's some great stuff built into Visual Studio um, that will even, you know, take snapshots and screenshots and make uh, re repro videos and things like that. You know, I've hardly used any of those, and it doesn't mean that they're not useful. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to just fall back to console apps as soon as I can. Right. Yeah. And uh, it, it depends on what I'm doing. Uh, unit tests are obviously great. Yeah. Um, and if I'm finding a bug in Node Time, or rather you know, reproducing a bug in Node Time, I will write a unit test. I have to say, for whatever reason, and again, I'm corner Casey. 
I seem to have problems attaching debuggers to unit tests yeah. um, <laughs> in various cases, you know, whether it's that most of the code I write is cross-platform, so is .NET Core with multiple target frameworks, and yeah. I think that confuses some debuggers. Right. And, you know, I, don't, I don't feel like debuggers have caught up with where Core is. Right, and I know that they're working hard. So they I've, will, I've sure. talked with the the folks at DevExpress about CoBrush. Yeah. Um. So reported some bugs and things got fixed, and I'm not sure whether it's the same thing has become unfixed in some way. But I always seem to have problems. Um. Mm. We I do feel like we're kind of at an interesting schism right now in the .NET ecosystem. Yeah. Because Microsoft has made this move to cross-platforming right. core. But, I mean, we're recording this in, in early or middle September. Mm. Core 2 dropped a month ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how much of the community, of how much of the ecosystem now is even, they haven't been paying attention to core. Right. Because it right. was too young. Yeah. And now we finally have a version. It's like, this is the version you should probably pay yeah, attention absolutely. to. Absolutely. And suddenly, by the way, you now have to test on all these platforms. Yep. If you're right. really going to serve it, if you're really going to be .NET Standard 2 compliant, mm. yep. you need to know how this is going to behave in Linux. And there are some weird, so your your problem uh, with the ASP.NET web forms is mm. failure to find the gRPC native right. extension. Right. We have the same problem, um, which I suspect has a completely different uh, underlying cause, running a an X unit unit test under uh, which targets netcore app 1.0 works fine hmm. targeting netcore app 2.0 again can't find the exact same uh -huh. extension really for weird different reasons that um it doesn't copy libraries into the place and the there's a difference in terms of where X unit is loading the assembly from under netcore app 1 versus netcore app 2 wow and we still don't know whether this is a deliberate difference in the core CLR or a change in X unit, an inadvertent change. So you can be using the same version of X unit, mm -hmm. but under NetCore app one, it works. NetCore mm. app two, it doesn't. Because we do probe, as you've probably seen from the error messages, we tried to find those native libraries in a bunch of places. Right, right. Um, so you know, we know that running Net NetCore, a lot of the time it will pick up the assembly from the NuGet cache, so we expect to find the the native library under a particular place. Right. So all that kind of thing, yeah, you really do need to test. But running ASP.NET Core on NetCore 2.0 seems to be okay. Yeah. For the same thing. So yeah, yeah there are some weird. interesting combinations. But going back to debuggers, um, and and tools for uh, diagnostics, um, my advice tends to be to work out whether the problem you're facing is fundamental to the environment you're in right. or not. Yeah. Right. So if it is fundamental to the environment you're in, then probably create a new, just as, just as you suggested, new web forms project. <laughs> yeah. And you know, just take the stock project yeah. um, so that you can be adding as small amount of your code as possible to it. Yeah. Um, and then you've at least got a clean slate well, you um, build a new project very differently when you're pursuing a problem versus building the app. Absolutely. And I've started just recently, I now have under my sort of projects directory, I have another one that is just issues where I've got a subdirectory for each GitHub issue and it's its own solution, its own project. Right. And that way I can keep it. I used to do sort of just throwaway projects. Yeah. And then I found, no, it's useful to be able to come back to this. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. I've got a directory issue. I think yours is 1409. Wow. <laughs> and it's all, all of these things. Um, and 
So sometimes it will be environment specific. It clearly is in this, this needs ASP.NET web forms. Yeah. And in that case, uh, you may find the tooling a little har harder to use. So obviously ASP.NET has been around for a long time, yeah. but very mature tooling, but some tooling can be less mature. So if you're doing something or, or, or just harder to use, if you're doing Xamarin, working with an iPhone, you can debug into the iPhone via all kinds of magical, mystical bits and pieces. Right, but if I'm investigating something that doesn't depend on that bit of UI, yeah. I would far rather do it in a console app or a unit test, you know, whatever floats your boat for investigating this thing in an environment you're really comfortable in that's really rapid iteration. I've got to be able to be able to make a change. Yeah and test it two seconds later. I don't want to have to deploy something to a phone again. Right. Um, unless it's to do with the phone itself, the phone's environment, in which case, yeah, at that point, you've got to suck it up and say, okay, yeah. it's going to be harder, but at least let's get rid of all my business logic. And you know, the first thing is to work out whether the problem is the business logic or the actual environment. Right. Well, I'm really interested to... Uh shut the recorder off and, and see exactly <laughs> uh, see exactly what's going wrong here and, and like I said we'll uh, we'll post the results on the page but thanks John it's always great to talk to you my pleasure all right and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a